we uh, sang, Come Thou Fount, that thing is just a uh, tremendous encouragement to me as we think about um, on that day when free from sinning, I shall see thy wondrous face. I mean, is that, I, I trust that that encourages you uh, to recognize that there is coming a day when we will stand face to face with our Savior. And when we're face to face with him, sin is gone and joy will be complete. So looking forward to that, that day. Well, as we uh, open our Bibles, the book of, of Mark, chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to uh, use one of our pew Bibles. This is on page 839 in the pew Bible. And again, why I want you opening your Bibles, using your Bibles, is because we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. We believe it's inspired by God. We believe that it is inerrant, that it is infallible, and it is all that we need for life and godliness. And so this book gives us the insight that we need to know God to have salvation, and to live a life that would be pleasing to God. As we begin this morning, I want to uh, ask the question, how well do you listen? Now, some of you said, huh? <laughs> um, because uh, you're not listening very well. You don't listen very well. I think most of us would consider ourselves to be pretty good listeners, right? I mean, I'm a good listener. And, and yet, um, I'm guessing others are probably more qualified to evaluate how well you listen than you are. Um, I know that I find myself saying way more often than my wife would like, saying the words, huh? And what? And uh, those kind of things get frustrating to her, but it's because she's not talking loud enough, of course, because I'm dialed in and listening. But we recognize, and we, we have, a, we have a, someone that we're close with in our family that um, they are having some difficulties hearing and that they went to an audiologist recently, and the audiologist told them that they have uh, normal hearing loss for someone their age. Guess what they heard? Normal. Guess what they didn't hear? Hearing loss. And so guess what? You talk to this individual on the phone, and guess what? Huh? What? And I can always tell who Trisha's talking to on the phone by how she's having that conversation, because it gets challenging. We oftentimes we can't hear, and there's a frustration that comes with that. And realize when we can't hear or we're not dialed into a conversation that it can be frustrating for us, it can be frustrating for others, and we just see all the complications that come with that. But as we think about this idea of hearing, that there are two words that are closely related, hearing and listening. And they're probably interchangeable. We can mix them up. But we recognize that there are physical problems that keep sound waves from traveling through the air, hitting our eardrum, and then the nerves taking that into our brain so we process. We have physical problems that hinder that. But we also know that much less than the physical problems are sometimes just an interest of not paying it. The reason, we just don't pay attention. Oftentimes we don't pay attention. That's why parents can be talking to their kids in the living room and uh, saying to the kids, hey, I would like for you to get up and clean your room. They don't even look at you. It's like, hello? And, and same kids sitting in the same place, volume on the same level, and you can be way over here in the kitchen having a conversation that you really don't want the kids to hear, and you're whispering, and they're hearing every word of it. Okay, how does that happen? Because it's not about the ability to hear. It's a willingness to listen. And in our passage this morning, that's one of the things Jesus is teaching us this morning. He's going to teach us this morning that we need to be listening. A phrase that we're going to see a few times in our passages is, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
And so, as I look around the auditorium this morning, it looks like we all have ears, right? Okay? And so we have ears, and the question is, do those ears hear? Well, in Mark chapter 4, a little bit of what's going on in the context is Jesus, in chapter 4, is teaching in parables. Now look with me in chapter 4, verse 2. It says, And he was teaching them many things in parables. Right? Look down with me in verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. We get down to verse 33. With many such parables, he spoke, to, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. And so he's teaching them these parables. And we looked, uh, when we were in the passage right before this, this idea of parables. The parables do two things. One, parables reveal truth to those whose hearts are tender, and parables conceal truth from those who have hard hearts. And so when Jesus is saying, those who have ears to hear, he's saying, those of you with tender hearts, pay attention, and you'll get this. But those of you who have hard hearts, you're not going to get it, because you don't want to hear, you don't want God's truth. And so these parables are, are truth that is given to both reveal and conceal truth. Well, Jesus says the statement then in verse 9. Look what it says in verse 9. He says, And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Look down in verse 23. In verse 23, he says, after doing some teaching, this is in our text this morning, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And then down in verse 33, as he spoke in parables, as they were able to hear. And so we get this recognition that this passage is all about Jesus teaching and he's wanting us to hear, those who have ears to hear. And so this morning, that is our charge. The question for us this morning is, do we have ears to hear and will we hear? So let's look at our verse this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 34. And let's look at 21 to 25 to begin our time. It says, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, and not on a stand. Now, as we read that, the obvious question is, well, of course not. I mean, you don't have a lamp, and you bring the lamp inside and put it under a basket or under something because you can't see it. And he says, for nothing that is hidden, verse 22, nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything in secret except to come into light. If anyone has hear, ear to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Well, as we look at what is the summary of this section, it would be this, that we need to, be, we need to pay attention to the light that you hear. And we recognize that. We have two words here, hearing and light. And we realize, well, you don't hear light. I mean, lights help us to see. Voices help us to hear. But in this passage, Jesus is talking about light and hearing because he begins talking about, is a lamp brought in under a basket? Okay, you don't do that. Things are brought into the light. And then he says, hear. And what we recognize in that is Jesus is coming and we see these two spiritual realities that Jesus has come to shine light. He has come to shine light on truth. 
so that we could see with the eyes of our hearts and then we could hear with the ears of our hearts. And so he's talking about seeing the light, but also hearing the truth. And so we put these together. Our point is Jesus is saying, pay attention to the light that you hear. He's the light. He's the one who's talking. We need to pay attention to him. And we recognize that Jesus has come to shine light on the work of God. As we look at this passage, it is, it's kind of interesting because verse 22 said, Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come into the light. What he's teaching here is that the truth that God wants us to know has been in the dark. As Jesus is coming and he is shining light on truth, that truth that was always meant to be brought into the light, but as it's unfolding, the light wasn't there for people to see. And so we think about, well, what is he talking about? This is the Old Testament understanding about the kingdom of God. This Old Testament understanding that in many ways we could say that the Old Testament is, the, the Old Testament is concealed, the New Testament is revealed. The New Testament reveals, sheds light on what we read in the Old Testament. And the truth specifically that he's talking about in the context, these things that have been in the dark are things about the kingdom of God. And when we see that, look back in verse 11. Verse 11. So I'm making the, I'm making the argument that this, what's been in darkness that now Jesus is bringing into the light is truth about the kingdom of God. Okay, in verse 11, it says this, And he said to them, To you, these are the disciples, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those who are outside, everything is in parables. So Jesus says to them, I'm revealing to you truth about the kingdom of God. Look in verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. So the kingdom of God. And then look down in verse 30. And he said, What can we compare the kingdom... What can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? And so Jesus steps onto the scene. He's fully God and he begins teaching. And the teachings and the things that he's wanting to tell people to see and the light that he is shining is on these Old Testament truths about the kingdom of God. And he's helping us to understand how does God operate? How do things work where God reigns? What does that begin to look like? And he's telling us that we need to listen to this. Because we're going to see in our message in just a little bit these two examples about these kingdom of God truths that we need to not just hear, but we need to get. And we need to apply them. Right? Well, as he looks at this, though, he goes on before he expands on this in verse 26. He says in verse 24, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And, and, and I've summarized that this way. He, Jesus is saying to the people, listen, how you're responding to the truth I'm giving you today is going to impact the truth that you're going to get tomorrow. Or maybe a simpler way of saying it is this. Today's response, what you do with the truth you hear today, will influence tomorrow's opportunities. And this is a word of encouragement. And he's saying, you need to hear this. And as you hear this, you can learn more. 
But if you ignore it, even what you have may be taken away. Let's look at a verse that would um, tie with this. Turn back in your Bibles, the book of James. James chapter 1. And in this we see a similar truth where James is telling us very similar truths about what Jesus is saying here about paying attention to what you hear. James chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible, this is on page 1011. Page 1011 in your pew Bible. James chapter 1. And this idea, pay attention to what you hear. Okay? You need to do something with what you're learning. And look what he says. James 1, 22. He says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He says that it is very easy for us to be hearers of the word of God and be deceived and to think that I'm also a doer of God's word. I mean, here's how that works. You come to church on Sunday morning, and we worship, and you sing, and you hear truth, and you hear truth about, uh, about maybe about um, some things going on in your life with finances, and realize that you need to be honest with your finances, you need to be good stewards with your finances, and then you go out, and you know you're already in credit card debt, or a bunch of it, and you go out, and you go to a very expensive restaurant here in town, and you put it on your credit card again. You're hearing, saying, yep, I'm supposed to be a good steward of God's word. I know I need to be handling my finances well. Amen, pastor, that's what God's word teaches. But then I walk out the doors, and it's like there are these scrubbers on the door that take away that truth, and I walk in and ignore what I do. And we happen that with, happen that with relationships. We come into church, and we hear that I am to be a, I'm seeking to, I need to be making peace with others and dealing with conflict in a way that is consistent with me being a believer. And I know that, and I hear that, and I'm nodding my head and saying, yes, that is true. Yes, that is what God says. And I, I, I acknowledge it. I agree with it, nod my head. But then I get in the car, and my kid or my spouse says something I don't like, and what comes out of me is ugly. I'm a hearer of God's word, but I'm deceived. I'm deceived because I think I'm a doer because I know it and I agree with it. And I think this is a challenge for us, especially people that are in church a lot. It's good for us to hear lots of God's word, but as we hear lots of God's word, it raises our accountability. Because the more I hear, the more I'm responsible for now, don't take that as saying, I'm not going to come next week then because I already know way more than I'm doing and I don't want to be more guilty. Okay, don't go there either. Okay, that's bad. But the idea is being a hearer and doer. And look at the example James uses. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, why? Because they're deceived, verse 22. He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, and he goes away at once and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, be, uh, being, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doings. And so the idea is this. So you wake up in the morning, right? Most of you woke up this morning, okay? Most of you, right? And as you woke up this morning, we look in a mirror. And who do you see? yourself. And as you look in the mirror, you recognize there's some things out of place. And you recognize, yep, it looks out of place. And there's agreement. You agree with what the mirror says. The mirror says your face is out of sorts. And you say, yes, it is. 
Okay? So what do you do? You go to work. You do something with it, right? You get the stuff that's hanging off your face, off of it. You brush your teeth. You work on your hair a little bit, whatever. Okay? You do those things. But this is saying that when we're hearers of God's word and not doers, we look at the mirror and think, man, I'm a mess. Okay, on with the day. I don't do anything about it. And we're thinking, how foolish. That's James' point. That we, when we are hearers of God's word, when we're back in Mark 4 and Jesus is saying, paying attention to what you hear, whenever we're hearing truth, but we're not doing anything with the truth, we are being foolish. We think that we're spiritual. We think that we're honoring God. We think that the things are okay with us and God because I know truth. Well, listen, look, at, look down in James chapter 2 a little bit. I want to, something that's a little startling. James chapter 2. And, um, oh, am I going to find it here? Um, okay, let me see if I can find it. Is it 13, 19? Yes, it's 19. Listen to this. Actually, in verse, one, verse 18. Let's get the context here. But someone will say, this is James 2, 18. You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He says this in verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. What he's saying here is that, what do the demons do? They hear truth? Yep, that's truth. Is Jesus the God? Yes, he is. Is Jesus uh, the Savior of the world? Yes, he is. Does Jesus give people new life, give new life to those who believe? Yes, he does. Satan agrees he can be sitting in a church like ours and nodding head and agreeing, looking in the mirror, seeing these kinds of things, not in agreement. But what does he do? He does nothing with it. He doesn't care. He hates God. And he's not interested in the things of God. But he will nod in agreement. So, so oftentimes I'm burdened as a pastor that oftentimes that there are people in the church that their faith is no more than the faith of a demon. They know the truth. They agree with the truth. But they're not doing anything with the truth. Because the mark of whether we are truly applying our faith is real, verse 18 says, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. The point James is making is, how do you see anybody's faith? I mean, I can't. I can't see anybody's faith. I can tell you I have faith. I can tell you that I have faith in this stool. I can tell you all day I have faith in this stool. Right? But do you know if I have faith in a stool? Nope. You have no idea. Now, I have faith in this stool. Now, do you know if I have faith in a stool? Absolutely. Why? Because I'm a hearer and a doer. And that's what God is calling us to, to not be deceived. And Jesus, back in Mark 4, is telling us, let's turn back there, he's giving us this encouragement to be a hearer and a doer, hear God's word, pay attention to what you hear, and when you believe him, more will be given to you. Listen, you want to grow in your walk with God? You know the best way to start doing that is? Applying what you know. It doesn't primarily start by reading more books but by doing what you already know, because as you do what you already know, God adds more to that. That's what he says in chapter 4, verse 24. Pay attention to what you hear. 
With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added. For the one who has, more will be given. Who is the one who has? The one who hears, the one who pays attention, the one who does it. God continues to give me more truth and grows me. But listen to the warning he says in verse 25. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This warning from God is he, he says, listen, if you're going to say, yes, I know you, God. Yes, I believe these truths, but not do what you say. He says, even what you have, the opportunities you have, even some of those may be taken away. I mean, here's, here's how I see this. I see this oftentimes as we think about students that grow up in church and they go away to college and they get far from God and walk away from God. We're often burdened about that, which, which rightly should be for a lot of reasons, but we often think it's because of the worldview that's going on and all the things they're hearing, which can, is a part of it. But I think an awful lot of it has to do with what can be true in our lives. I know truth, I know truth, I know truth, but I get away and I get to a place where I'm going to start dabbling in some immorality. And I'm dabbling in some immorality that I've really not had a chance to before, but now I'm away from home and I dabble in this immorality. And I know it's wrong, and I know I shouldn't, but my conscience is kind of searing me, but I'm like, I kind of like it, and I want to keep doing this. And so I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm not having it. I'm not doing it. What is to say? That God oftentimes takes away what you already have. And what do we hear in some of these students? I don't believe anything about that. The church is a bunch of hypocrites, and the church is terrible, and all these things about the church. And why is that? I would argue that is much less an intellectual result as it is a moral failure and they knew what they were supposed to do. They didn't do it. They walked away from God. And God says, you're not going to do with anything with what I've given you. I'm going to take it away. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not our salvation. God doesn't take our salvation away. Because sometimes people say, well, can people walk away from their salvation? And I would say, absolutely not. Because our salvation is the greatest thing there is. And the question would be, if somebody is walking away from salvation, walking away from Jesus to something else, they've concluded that something else is better than Jesus. What they've never truly understand is that Jesus is the Lord. He's the best thing there is. How could you ever walk away from Jesus if you know him? And so we recognize that, that, that they're not walking away from their faith. They're walking away from the seeds that they had that didn't get rooted we realize this so jesus is telling this warning hear this do this and i think we need to hear this listen it's easy for us to think about college students and all that but listen husbands wives students grandparents and all this if we ignore the truth that we have we're not going to continue to make spiritual progress i mean we so easily deceive ourselves into thinking that well yeah, I mean, I love God, and I'm going to do what God calls me to in all of these other areas, but I'm going to keep playing with sin over here. We deceive ourselves into thinking that God's going to bless us with that. And what I'm often burdened with is I think there's a spiritual warfare that just goes on, and there's a spiritual warfare that wants us to be really comfortable playing that game. Really comfortable. I'm dabbling in sin, coming to church, reading my Bible and all that. I am, James 1 talks about, I am deceived. God calls us to holiness. He calls us to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that has implications in our everyday lives. 
And I want to encourage us to hear this, what Jesus is saying in verse 24. Pay attention to what you hear. Well, let's continue in our passage and see some specific examples of things he wants us to hear. In verse 26, he says, And he said to them, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces all by itself, first the blade, then the ear, and the fruit of the grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. In this picture, I believe what God is wanting us to see is this, is that we need to trust God's plan for his kingdom. That the kingdom of God is like farming, right? The kingdom of God is like farming. What do farmers do? Farmers sow, they plant, they go to bed, the crop grows, and they enjoy the harvest. Pretty straightforward, right? Pretty basic. Plant plant it, and it has to grow, and you wait, and when it grows, and when it's all done growing, the harvest comes. And, And how does all that work, and what is the nature of that in our spiritual lives? Here's what I want us to see. That sowing and sleeping are both responsibilities that the farmer has. He's responsible to sow the seed, and he's responsible to rest and trust God for the growth. And we think about disciple-making, as we think about parenting, as we think about helping others to grow in a relationship with Jesus, what are we responsible to do? We are responsible to plant seeds. We're to be a responsible farmer. We plant and we water, we fertilize, and then what do we do? We go to sleep. That we rest. And, And why... I think this is important is because oftentimes what we try to do in disciple-making, and I think this fits really well with parenting, I think the illustration fits well with parenting, is that we do one of two things. We either uh, ignore the responsibility that we have, or we're unwilling to sleep because we've got to be in control. We see this in the realm of parenting and what are sometimes called the helicopter parents. Okay, what's a helicopter parent? Hovering over everything and making sure nothing happens or controlling everything. What are they like? They're like the farmer who I planted the seed and I'm like watching. Is that plant going to grow? Let me check. I'm going to open up the seed and make sure. See, okay, that's still there. Cover it back up. Oh, that's, I'm not I'm so worried about this seed. I'm gonna, I'll cover it and look at it a little bit. Man, I'm going to put a little more fertilizer on there. Come on, seed, grow, grow. I'm going to pull it out, look at it, and think, no, it's not growing yet. So I put it back in there and, you know, and it's in, next day I do that. And now if I'm doing that to that plant, am I helping it grow? Actually, I'm probably hindering its growth, right? And sometimes we recognize, what does this say? That the farmer sows a seed and he sleeps. Because what does the farmer have to trust to cause the growth? It's really cool because it tells us right in the verse. It says in verse 28, The earth produces all by itself, first the blade, then the ear, and the full grain in the ear, all by itself. Who does that? God does. God causes the growth. And I think sometimes on this range over here that we want to be so in control of things that that, that we're so in control that we're unwilling to sleep and rest. And we're stressed out all the time and we're worried about this all the time and we just can't, I just can't get my hands off. I can't, I, I, I can't, we don't say this, but what we're saying is I can't trust God in this. I've got to do more. But then you have over here the free-range parent. 
okay, the farmer has responsibility to sow seeds, right? This farm, this, this, this over here, it's like, you know what? God wants those seeds to grow. God's going to cause them to grow. That's what the passage says, right? Yep. So what are you going to do? I'm sitting inside. I'm still sleeping a little longer. I'm going to sleep a little longer and um, hope that seed grows. And you're saying, well, where's the seed? Well, still in the bag. Well, why is it doing in the bag? Well, I told you, if God wants to grow, he's going to cause it to grow. And we would say, well, that's foolish. Well, that's a free-range kind of discipling. Well, if God's going to make disciples, he's going to do it. He's sovereign, he's going to do it. God's going to raise my kids, want kids my kids to be godly, he's going to do it. And we're not investing, and we're not having the conversation that we need to have. And we see these, these two extremes, and both of farmers are going to fail. Because this one is destroying the seed in the ground, and this one's not even getting the seed in the ground. But what does it require? It requires us to sow, to do the responsibilities God calls us to, to to be having conversations that we need to with others as we're seeking to make disciples. It calls us to, to be able then to put our heads on the pillow and trust God's sovereign work. God, I have given truth to this person, and I really want them saved. God, I really am invested in this person's marriage. I know they're having struggles, God, and, and, and you've given me the opportunity to speak to them, and I've spoken to them truth, God. And so now what do I need to do? I'm going to pray, and I'm going to go to sleep because I can't control this. I'm going to trust you too. And that is how we have a very balanced kind of a ministry. You're a burden. Those seeds are going to the ground, and that truth is being spoken because you're broken. You want to see people grow. You want to see this. But you realize this is in God's hands. And that we would be like the good farmer, the good farmer who sows, who sleeps, and then we're just going to enjoy the harvest. That we're going to trust God for this growth. Well, as we see this as well, that we, Jesus wants us to hear this. And again, this is truth. What's the context here? This is light that we need to hear. That this is truth we need to pay attention to. We need to pay attention to what we hear. Because if I'm going to keep doing it this way, or my hands off over here this way, what it says, even what I have is going to be taken away. We've got to be diligent. Faithful, diligent, and trusting. And for some of us, some, of, some, some in, our, in our church family, that the idea, it's really, really hard to rest because it's so, you so much want this growth and you so much want to help that to produce. Others in our church family need to get off the couch and start sowing. Those are the extremes that we have. I'm doing, I'm just, I'm busy, 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 busy. I'm doing nothing. God would call us, we're to be busy. Farmers are hard workers. And we work hard, and we serve the Lord faithfully, but then we trust Him. Well, he continues, another truth that he wants us to hear about the kingdom of God is also, we see in verses 30 to 32, and he says, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Okay, more truth, more light is being revealed on this kingdom of God, or what parables shall we use? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the ground is the smallest seeds of all the earth, Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger, it becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. As we see this picture, we recognize that God is calling us to trust Him. That God is calling us to trust them 
trust him that he can do big things from small beginnings. The mustard seed. Um, somebody several years ago gave me a whole bunch of mustard seeds. And uh, I think they came from Kroger. And uh, in this little bitty can, there are like probably a thousand of seeds in here. And the mustard seeds are real little. And when it says here in the context, talks about there being the smallest seed, it would be like the smallest seed that a farmer would plant at the time. Okay, so this little bitty seed, okay, and we see this little bitty seed, okay, and you can't even see it from where you are, but it's, it's tiny, okay, and um, this tiny seed, it, I'm like, feel like I'm going to sneeze right now, and I feel like I'm going to sneeze, I'm going to throw these everywhere, so I'm like having this like conscious thought of what am I going to do right now, okay, I'm going to take a few of them out, and I'm going to put it at least back, so if I do sneeze, that's it, but these little bitty mustard seeds, that what is God saying, that from this mustard seed, comes something really big and useful. And as we think about God's word, that God's kingdom is very unimpressive at the start. Think about how the, how the kingdom of God, how the, God, the church began. The church began with this really small group of people, 12 people, 11 actually, 11 disciples. They were faithful to proclaim the word of God. And Jesus said to them, I want you to make disciples of all nations. And they're hearing Jesus. If, if I'm one of the disciples and I'm hearing Jesus say, make disciples of all nations, I'm thinking, Jesus, I mean, there are like 12 of us and uh, we're sitting here in Galilee and we're fishermen. I mean, we're not gifted communicators. We're not marketers. I mean, we don't even have the internet yet, Jesus. How are we going to do this? And yet what did they do? They took these little seeds of the gospel and began telling others about Jesus. One person at a time. Multitudes of people hear the gospel. These seeds get planted. And what happens? That plant begins to grow. And it grows, and it grows, and it grows. And these little bitty mustard seeds begin to grow and shed and create shade and places for birds to nest. It becomes a benefit mankind in significant ways. And as it continues to grow and it continues to grow, what started in Galilee is now then casting branches and shade all the way to Crawfordsville, Indiana. The gospel has gotten here. Little bitty seed. It's grown that much. And I think it's important for us to understand this, that, get, that, that God uses these little beginnings to do big things. The kingdom of God has a very unimpressive start. And I think that the challenge for us is that oftentimes we think that we are excited and we look forward to really, really big things. We want God to do giant things for us. And so if I'm going to get involved in a ministry, I want it to be big. I mean, I want to have the bells and whistles. I want attention drawn to it. Because doing little things, it's not very impressive. I mean, doing little things isn't, isn't very impressive. Uh, and, and yet, we serve a God who can do far more than all we ask or imagine. Well, here are three ideas is why I think that God reveals this, this, this parable of the mustard seed. The first is this, to help us to understand that church, that growth within the church starts small. How many of you like small things? I mean, we're, we're, we're a relatively big church, right? I mean, compared to churches around the world and things, we're a big church. We think about little churches in our community, in our culture. We think, man, a church of 10 or 12 people, that's not very impressive. What can God do with something like that? 
we have, I think we have an inherent bias against small things. But God uses small things. And he's using these small things to create big, big results. So the first thing is to recognize that, that, that growth in the church will start small, but it will grow in unimaginable ways. I think a second thing we see in this is that the work of God in the life, so this little mustard seed that happens in our lives, is planted in your life, it can have significant, should have significant work. I mean, the little bitty seed. So, I mean, think about this swallowing this little bitty seed, and we realize if I swallow this seed, what if it really did grow in you? And it has the potential to become this big mustard seed that it did. Would it change your life? Right, you ate a mustard seed and it grew and you've got these branches like coming out of your ears and all that and your digestive system. It would change the way you live. That's what the gospel wants to do. This gospel that goes into your ears and into your heart, it grows and it affects your ears and your eyes and your brain. It affects everything. And God wants us to know that this little bitty gospel makes big changes. And it's a joy to see that. I mean, isn't it a joy to, to hear testimonies of how God has taken the little seed of his word and changed a life? I mean, I think of that when we have membership testimonies here. It's an encouragement to hear that, to hear how somebody, even say they're saved out of, they have a really rough background, they get saved out of that, and they see this big growth. But even to think about the child that gets saved, the child who, who has not known the gospel, but mom and dad faithfully sowing the word of God into that. And the hope, what do we want to see God do to change, change that life? And can God do that? Yes. And the way that God does that is by be small beginnings. I think the third thing is to remind us not to despise small things. That we don't despise small things. Small, certainly the seeds of the gospel. The word of God has power in itself. But oftentimes we despise little things. Little things like just reading your Bible every day. Yeah, what's, what's reading my Bible in the morning going to do for me? You know, if, if, if it's the seed of God's word and you're doing that consistently over uh, several years and whatever, that makes a significant difference in your life. Memorizing the Word of God. Why should I memorize the Word of God? I mean, it's just a few verses or whatever, and how much difference can that make in my life? Those little seeds can grow into something significant. When we think about, about teaching a Sunday school class, well, I teach a Sunday school class, and I only have four or five little kids in my Sunday school class. I don't even know if I should keep teaching Sunday school. Little seeds. We're planting, watering. Wednesday night, what, what difference does it make? These kids that are coming on Wednesday nights, some of their home lives are really, really significant, and it's, it's hard, and they're, all the things they're hearing from the world and all the little things, what is one hour a week of teaching the Bible going to do for them? And we easily despise that because we think it needs to be big, but we, are we, what are we trusting? Are we trusting the power of God's Word? I would say that too, just in terms of, in the big context of our church, there are a multitude of ministries that are, that are mustard seed ministries that, that we need people serving in. And I'm thankful for those that do. We think in children's church and other ministries. We think about cleaning the church, taking care of things outside, doing mowing, taking care of our landscaping, taking care of sidewalks. We think about windows getting washed, bathrooms getting cleaned. Do those things matter to us? Absolutely they do. But oftentimes we think, well, that's little, that's nothing. I'm not, I mean, what, what would me doing something like that make a difference for? It makes a difference. 
And, and frankly, that's why I believe that God wants His whole church involved, all of us involved in the work of ministry, everybody investing their time and energy that recognize we are a body of Christ and God wants to use every one of us for, for His purposes. And some of those are very upfront ministries and some of those are very behind-the-scenes ministries, but realizing that what we're seeking to do are to see these little bitty seeds grow. And it takes all of us, all of us, to be involved. And I would ask you, I would just ask you to maybe examine yourself to think, um, how much time have you invested in helping Eastside Baptist Church flourish in the last month? And some of you are thinking, I can add all the hours up. Thank you. I do thank you for that. Others of you are thinking, well, I've come to church four times. I'm glad you come. But it's like a family. What happens in the family when uh, there are just a couple people doing all the work? How's, how's, how's living with mom whenever that's going on? <laughs> it's kind of rough, doesn't it? When we think about what does God call it, we're a church family. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have what we're going to call a ministry opportunity fair, a service opportunity fair. And we're going to be highlighting just all kinds of things for people to do. Opportunities, some uh, things that, uh, big things, little things, in between things. And uh, we want the church family to just to rise to the level, just, let's, let's get involved in this. And many of them mustard seed things. You think, well, what's, what's my little contribution do? I want you to think about mustard seed. Small thing, seed in the garden grows this big bush. God can use it. Well, as we recognize in the midst of all of this, that God can do big things with small beginnings. What I want us to see this morning is God's calling us to be hearers, to pay attention to what you hear. The question for us this morning, am I trusting, am I, am I doing, applying what I hear, and am I trusting God's plan for his kingdom? And God's plan for his kingdom is that he uses small things to grow something big, and we also see that he also in his kingdom that we have to work and we sleep. Work and rest. And so I just want to encourage you this morning to examine yourself, to think, how am I responding to what I know? Am I listening? Am I doing? Or am I deceived? I want you to think as well as am scattering and planting and doing the work God calls me to, and am I resting? And then I would call you to ask you, are you planting, are you trusting the, the, the mustard seed of God's word to produce big things? I want to encourage us not simply to be hearers of God's word, but to pay attention to what we hear, knowing that the measure we use will be measured against us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts, God, that we... We would rejoice that you have revealed your truth to us. God, that we have light that we can hear, that Jesus is this light and he has spoken and that we would hear him and that we would hear his voice and that we would trust his plan. God, that we would be recognized that we, would, we have work to do and responsibilities to fulfill, but we also know that you're the one who causes growth. God, I pray you would help us as well to trust the mustard seed. Lord, that we would trust that you begin things small and you can do unimaginable things with them. And I pray that you would grow our faith, that we would believe this and that we would invest our time in it. And so God, help us this morning. And Lord, as we conclude our time this morning, I pray that you would help us to examine ourselves to think, am I deceived or am I truly doing what I know?
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.